Merkel Media. I guess it's time to go back in time. Are you telling me you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? Time is but a stubborn illusion. I have a lot of memories of the past. People are time traveling within themselves. Time travel is possible. They're staying in the shadows. It's called probing. Make sure things are all clear. Therefore, for the rest of the world. You guys hear that? I'll reload it! I kinda like you. Welcome to the show, everybody. You are listening to The Confessionals, a proud featured show on blogtalkradio.com. I am your host, Tony Merkel. Thank you for being with us this evening. If you've had an encounter or a story you'd like to share with me on the show, go ahead and shoot me an email. My email address is theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com. That's theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com. Or you can go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com, hit the connection section, and you can reach me that way as well. Either way works for me. Just get a hold of me. Now, tonight we're bringing on Gary Wayne again. Now, we did a show with Gary Wayne on the Nephilim, and we hinted at thinking about doing a show on CERN. Well, tonight's that night. We're going to be doing a show tonight on CERN, and Gary Wayne comes on to talk about the details of this facility in Geneva. Okay, tonight I have a great guest coming on, a returning guest. I have Gary Wayne coming on the show to talk about CERN. So last time we talked to Gary, he was on talking about Nephilim. And, and Gary, I'll tell you, people loved hearing about that show. How you doing, man? I'm doing very, very well and glad to hear that people enjoyed our talk about Nephilim. And it's you know kind of one of those fringe aspects of the Bible, but I think, you know, from my perspective, it's very, very important, and it just spews over into so many different aspects of prophecy and understanding the Old Testament. So, really enjoyed the show the last time. Yeah, I did too, and, and I wasn't sure, I was, I never quite sure, you know, how people are going to react to some, some of those topics, because, you know, I have a very mixed audience, so I have people who don't want to hear anything about the Bible, and then I have other people who, if I say the wrong thing, they email me telling me <laughs> how I'm wrong and stuff, so I wasn't sure how people would react to that that show, but they, they really seem to love it. Yeah, yeah, so I, well, I find it fascinating, and, you know, the, the great thing about uh, the, the, the giants is it's not just a Christian 
everything that is written about. I mean, it's in all cultures, all religions, all around the world. So, uh, you know, and they're making discoveries of giants in, in North and South America, especially, you know, the recent ones with the Peruvian elongated skulls and the red hair. So it's a, it's a fascinating subject, and I think uh, it's going to continue to um, get more interest and more research is going into it all the time. Yeah, absolutely. I agree 100%. And I, I think as time goes on, just more and more information is going to be uncovered. Uh, I'm sure we'll have you back on for that <laughs> as time goes on. Uh, but today we're talking about CERN. And, you know, I started talking to some people about the fact that we're going to be doing a show on CERN. And one of the main questions that it kind of caught me off guard was people are like, what is CERN again? And so I, I was kind of surprised that, you know, most people weren't totally sure exactly what CERN is. So today, today's show, we're going to be talking about CERN, but we're going to talk about the basics of CERN, kind of like, you know, the, 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 the genesis of it and, you know, kind of some of the underlying symbolism that's involved here and things like that. Uh, so if you want, just take us away with, you know, what is CERN? Well, for people that aren't familiar with CERN, this is located uh, just outside of uh, Geneva in Switzerland, and just an extraordinary amount of money is going into this science project, and it is uh, a giant particle particle collider, and what they're doing is is they're creating uh, speed with these particle boards particles at a tremendous speed and colliding them. And what they're trying to do, uh, at least from what they're putting out in terms of the news, is they're trying to figure out some of the beginnings to the Big Bang uh, theory and or to the beginning of the universe and looking to see what sort of happens when all of this sort of comes about. And so that's sort of the superficial story that people should understand, except that there is just so much money going into it. Then there's the occult aspects of its uh, some symbolism. And then you have quantum computers um, associated with it as well. And there's not a lot of quantum computers that are out there today. Um, there may be more. My information might be a couple of years old on quantum computing. But at that time, there was maybe six or seven in the world, and they're using it in conjunction with CERN and for AI intelligence in other aspects. And so quantum computers tend to work in the subatomic level and in multiple dimensions. And that's one of the sort of the keys to being able to quantum compute. And what's important about that is is when you're working at the quantum level is is you can get to the subatomic level and that's why they're trying to intermarry that up and have a computer that can work in different dimensions so as a quick overview that's what the the at least the projected story is about cern wow so the quantum computer is supposed to work in different dimensions it, it sounds very um paranormally to me and if for, for science to be utilizing something like this do they look at it that way do they look like they're do they look at this as something that they're diving into more of a paranormal realm or do they have some kind of scientific way of looking at this well i think both and and i also uh, would say there's a very much a religious sort of aspect to it 
And so if you understand who some of the pioneers are in quantum computing, you know, whether or not it goes back all the way to, you know, uh, Wolfgang Pauli. I mean, he saw his re research through the occult and particularly Carl Jung or Jung, as uh, I don't like slaughtering people's names, um, and through Eastern religions. And, you know, some if you move a little bit more forward in terms of some of the more important scientists of doing research on quantum mechanics and quantum theory in the quantum world, you have people like Niels Bohr and Werner Heisenberg and a fellow by the name uh, of Schrodinger. And both Bohr and Schrodinger said that their experiments were consistent with what they learned, learned in the Eastern Vedas. And that... Uh, Quantum mechanics, according to Heisenberg, you know, it the quantum theory serves to to make sense to people who have read the Vedanta, and then as you read more into what they uh, speak and talk about, is they believe that the multiplicity of dimensions at the quantum level is completely consistent with the doctrine of the up and sheds. So pretty much, and as you move forward, um, anybody dealing with atomic um, theory uh, is seemingly talking from a reference from Eastern religions, which is a very, very interesting perspective is if they believe that you need to understand the Vedas to understand quantum computing, which they say you do, and from the aspect that this now becomes not just a scientific experiment, it becomes more of a matter of a belief system, and you wonder which one is driving what and what they're actually trying to do. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to this stuff, it seems like uh, the, 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 the border between you know, scientific minds and beliefs kind of gets very cloudy to me. I, it sounds like yeah. even the scientists themselves hold these certain beliefs that they're holding on to tightly, just like a, just like a Christian would. Like, it's, it's going to be hard to convince a Christian that Jesus Christ isn't ever in existence, you know? Like, it's going to be hard to do that because you hold on to those beliefs. And I feel like uh, you're starting to see similar things on the scientific end of stuff. Uh, when it comes to the symbolism and things like that. I think the first thing when you talked, when you mentioned symbolism to me, uh, the whole logo of CERN, uh, a lot of people say that there is symbolism there. Would you like to go into that at all? Well, yeah, some people might get a little bit, you know, carried away with some of the symbolism in there and they're projecting three sixes coming out of that. But typically, though, the, the most direct connection to the CERN uh, logo uh, and how the CERN uh, collider actually looks is a stylized version of the god Shiva out of Eastern mysticism, which again is a rather interesting kind of connection. So as soon as you start talking about the god Shiva and Eastern mysticism and now connect that to the beliefs of, of what many of the quantum particle uh, Theorists um, believe you need to read and understand to work in quantum physics. Now you have another connection back to Eastern mysticism. And, you know, the god uh, Shiva was the god of the underworld. And that's where things really start to move forward in that sort of occultic sort of manner. And then I think most people, if they, you know, 
I think it was out two or three years ago, there was a special ceremony at CERN and in the tunnel, and they had a lot of the workers all dressed up in these strange costumes that were very occultic and doing very much an occultic ritual that is just absolutely bizarre to watch. And again, you wonder, is this really cold, objective science, or does this have an agenda that is maybe a little bit more religious-based than what they're portraying it to be. Yeah, I mean, with Shiva, you know, I, I think I heard somewhere that she's like the goddess of destruction or something like that. And then having her as a mascot to CERN, uh, it, it, like I said, it, it kind of clouds your beliefs with science and things like that, with, with the whole <laughs> tunnel opening and things like that. I mean, uh, was that like a, a ritual, like almost like summoning Lucifer himself kind of thing? Because I've heard that. Yeah. So um, people are thinking that they were trying to, uh, you know, um, elicit uh, fallen angels and or demons and, and things like that. And perhaps they were. But this, as you as you dig into this theory of what they're trying to do that not only is scientific but has a religious connection is is that they believe that this is more than just breaking down the particles. I'm going to talk a little bit about particle particles in, you know, hopefully before the show's over because that's really important to understand and where they're thinking about how this relates to the Vedas. But also that multiple dimensions aspect, which is part of string theory and which is part of quantum theory now and is also part of the up and shads that we talked about. And so uh, when you combine that with a quantum computer that works in in different dimensions and can actually be in multiple dimensions uh, at the same time, you have this this sort of coming together of concepts that suggest that they're trying to do more than just break the particle particle down, um, that they're trying to open up some sort of gate to the uh, to another universe or to another dimension. And that is very much related to Shiva and gods associated with it. But it is, a, you know, uh, also part of a cult belief where they're trying to open the gates and we're dealing with codes and systematic uh, numerology and, and quantum type of uh, programming. But from a geomancer perspective, from the occult, it's like a geomancer is someone who is uh, like a gatekeeper who can create uh, portals between the worlds. And they believe that in this occult belief system that the world is really like a uh, – the universe is really like a projection from a quantum computer, which again ties into this understanding of why they need a quantum computer. And that the universe and the earth are basically cryptograms in this hologram, which are codes encoded into the universe, and they call that part of their sacred geometry. And that Earth is actually a sentient and an intelligent um, being of sorts, uh, you know, conforming to mathematical and geometric laws um, that, you know, we don't fully understand. So there's this, like I say, there's just so much of this occult sort of overlay onto this experiment that you have to really dig into uh, 
the two aspects of what they're doing. I think there are two goals. I think there's one for the particle particles, and then there's one that is for the gateway. So to sort of underline how prevalent this occult ideology is in it is is that CERN actually goes back to a couple gods. And uh, not only is it re- and it re- is related to Shiva, but from a Western perspective, you have a god that is in the Druidic pantheon, and his name is uh, Sununos, uh, C-E-R-N-U-N-O-U-S. And this is a horn god. Uh, this is a god of the underworld. This is a, a god of uh, the woodlands, and very much like the hern god that you see coming out of the, the, the Druidic uh, religions, and so that name is really quite a coincidence. And then you go into the Etruscan, which is the pre, you know, the culture before the Romans, um, who inherit a lot of the Etruscan culture and religion. And you have another god called Cern, and there's not none of that unos on the end. It is just strictly Cern. And this, again, is pretty much an identical god with, uh, the Sunonos god, uh, in terms of being a god of nature and a horn god. Um, I won't go into all the details of this rammed horn god, but it is also associated with Apollyon. And Apollo, out of the Greek mythology, and Apollo can be spelled as Apollyon or Apollo. And Apollo is not only a sun god, but also the god of the underworld again. And what's interesting about Apollyon is it's associated with Revelation 9 and the abyss and what gets released out of the abyss in the end time, noting that in Enoch, the book of Enoch, and what many people believe from a Christian religious perspective is that the abyss that the impassioned fallen angels who created the, the Nephilim that we talked about in the last show were locked into are going to be released in the end time as recorded in Revelation 9. And the leader of uh, these really strange-looking creatures that come out of the abyss in the end time is called Apollyon in Greek and Abaddon in Hebrew. And, of course, Apollyon is the equivalent god in the Hindu religion, which is Shiva. So everything sort of comes full circle with that. And then there is a temple that is three kilometers from CERN. And it's called, and it's in uh, St. Ginny's uh, Pouilly. And Pouilly is a French name, and it derives as et- etymology from uh, Apollyon. And this temple is dedicated to Apollyon. And so this Greek god of death wow. and of the underworld in a temple dedicated to um to Apollyon, uh, who is out of the abyss in, a, in another dimension, is located three kilometers from CERN. And, I, you know, I just do not believe that is a coincidence. Yeah, and I mean, they want you to think that, right? Because I'm sure you're not the only one that's brought that up. And I'm sure they've been confronted about that, and they just think that's, they just want to say that's a coincidence, right? Yeah, it's just a coincidence, and uh, there's no real attachment to it. Uh, but again, when you see them with that ceremony that was so occult in nature, um, you, you really wonder what they're trying to do. So, And this whole idea about 
reaching into other dimensions sort of goes back to the idea of is are they trying to release the impassioned angels who created the giants uh, before the flood and perhaps again after the flood and were locked away in the abyss uh, for their for their violations against creation sooner than their ordained time is that what they're trying to do or is this sort of going to be a fulfillment of prophecy that finally when they get this done that they can use this technology to to release these uh these fallen angels and you know when we look at the tower of babel and i, I won't spend a lot of time here but uh, nimrod after babel goes to mesopotamia and he's the father of the babylonians the chaldeans and the akkadians as as they descend down from a biblical perspective and so when they recant the story in Akkadian of the Tower of Babel, they don't look at Babel as meaning confusion of languages as it means to the Christians and coming out of the Hebrew translation. They translate it as El, E-L as in God, and Bab as in gateway. And again, people wonder whether or not um, what Nimrod was trying to do with, with the tower as opposed to trying to reach into the sky. Was he building something with technology that was trying to be a gateway to the gods? Because that's what Bab, Babel will uh, translate from in, in Akkadian. And one again wonders whether or not that's what they're trying to do here. All right, well, let's take a break right now. When we come back, we'll get back into it with you, Gary. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, what they tried doing before, they're just trying to do again. And I, you mentioned about the releasing of the fallen angels. I mean, I, I don't know. If they do it, I would say that that was probably the ordained time then. The Bible doesn't say it. I mean, you might be able to correct me, but the, I don't think the Bible says how the angels will be released. Uh, well, through an angel comes falls from the sky. And some people look at that as another fallen angel with a key. But... What's the understanding of a key? Is it a physical key to unlock them from the abyss prison? Or is the key some sort of mathematical cryptogram or code to release them that I was talking about in terms of using the quantum computers to crack the code? And as they believe in geomancy and that they are gatekeepers through these codes and uh, uh, to the portals. So hard to know, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, do you think that artificial intelligence plays any role into this? I mean, do you think artificial intelligence could be the, the you know, quote unquote, maybe angel that unlocks things or something like that? I mean, where do you where do you stand on the whole artificial intelligence thing? Well, again, if you look at what Google's doing with um, quantum computing and some other organizations, you, you seemingly you need quantum computers to have artificial intelligence. Okay, and so. You see a coming together of that, and then you have this use in multiple dimensions. So I guess the question gets to be is, is do you need a quantum computer to be that smart um, to, to provide the artificial intelligence? And I'm thinking that's probably not the case because right now these quantum computers, as powerful as they are in that they can store – so much more knowledge. I mean, the last time I heard was like, you know, 35 times over what all the particle particles are in the universe. Um, so these are, I mean, what would take a supercomputer 500 years to calculate. This is a supercomputer. A quantum computer could do in less than a second. But 
it's not a wide-ranging capability at this point in time. And they're using it more for surgical calculations and things like that. So, But it doesn't mean you couldn't develop the quantum computer beyond to be more than just sort of singularly focused. Uh, and they probably will. But at this time, it suggests that uh, although it can do calculations at a speed uh, that is just unimaginable, it's, it's hard to understand how they would project uh, an artificial intelligence that way. Unless, of course, it goes to the second part of what I think they're trying to do at CERN. So maybe it's time I talked a little bit about that. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. So, and again, it will start sort of in the Eastern mysticism that the scientists seem to be heavily involved in and in the, in, in the Vedas. And also understand that in this particle core, particle collider, they're trying to break things down at the quantum level. And there's a lot of thought that they're looking for something. Some people call it uh, the God particle. Um, and there's a few other names that, that are attached to it. And sort of superficially, it's more what they're talking about is, is you know something at the Big Bang, but not really if you get down into their belief systems. And so in the Vedas, they believe, and also in Taoism, um, they, they believe in a different kind of particle. And many believe, and I think, that they're, they're probably looking for this particle. And it's called the Atma, and that's spelled A-T-M-A. And in other versions, it's Atman, A-T-M-A-N. And what it is, is a particle that, uh, A, they haven't been able to find, and they can't really see. But they know it's there, they think, because of what it does. And so it has different properties than most uh, subatomic particles. And they believe that this Atma particle contains a soul or a consciousness. So you can start to see a connection into AI here. And that it also has eternal knowledge. And the two aspects of, of godhood, which they're going to, I think, try and present in the end time, is uh, some sort of immortality in the physical world and knowledge. And those are the two bases of mystical religions on how you're going to become a god, immortality and knowledge, and to be able to discipline that knowledge. And this particle core does not degrade in any way. And in the quantum level, you have what they call quantum entanglement, so that uh, whether it's in a different dimension or at other ends of the universe, they're entangled and they can transfer information instantaneously and they can be in more than one one dimension and more than one spot that's all part of um, quantum theory and it doesn't have um, any more elemental particles to it and it doesn't merge with particles it manipulates these other particles it works through them and so this is the God particle that is the living life force that they're searching for that works through all of these particles, that stores all of the knowledge in the universe, that communicates it instantly all over the place, you know, to all aspects of the multiple universes. Um, and it animates particles so that they actually vibrate, which is, again, part of that new age uh, vibration. And all particles vibrate, by the way, for the most part. 
and vibrating to a level of they call into the harmonic convergence, which will give them godhood. But also the, with the aspect of being able to access this god particle that stores all of the knowledge. So one wonders as they do AI, are they trying to find this particle um, that they call the god particle or the atma to assist in creating of the artificial intelligence? So if they find this particle, uh, how dangerous could that be for, I guess, humanity, really? Well, anytime we get over our skis and we do that um, too much and we don't have the wisdom and we don't understand the power, bad things can happen. And I think that's part of this coming together with um, the end time and that when you have... Uh, at the mark of the beast and the Antichrist, uh, I think there's a good case to be made that they're going to be offering godhood for you to take this oath, to take this mark. And this mark has something to do with quantum computing and at the subatomic level, and it may actually change your DNA somewhat or be a violation somehow against the laws of creation because in the Bible, there's only one sin that you're not going to be forgiven for, and that is sins against the Holy Spirit or blasphemies against the Holy Spirit, depending on which translation that you're looking at. And that's very, very strange because you have these fallen angels in the abyss who they're trying to get these fallen angels out, I think, for violating the laws of creation who aren't going to be forgiven and uh, are going to burn in the lake of fire forever uh, at the at the end of uh, you know at the time of the judgment and the end of the thousand years, and you have these people who take the mark in the Bible who will also not be forgiven uh, for taking the mark and will burn in the lake of fire with their uh, the gods that they followed, and no other peoples are said to be sentenced to that. So I think this whole mark and artificial intelligence and changing things at the quantum level are about violating the laws of creation and presenting a godhood format in the physical universe between knowledge and immortality. And then when you start mixing in all the different kinds of transhumanism that you can have, whether or not it's a creation from uh, fallen angels to create supermen, whether or not it is DNA manipulation, whether or not it is uh, some sort of um, bionic parts, uh, whatever you want to call it, that they're working hard to do, right, and including cloning, um, and you match that up with the access to the knowledge of the universe, and you have those two things that they can offer in the physical world to stand up against the God of the universe and rebel, just as they like to do with their allegories in, in Star Wars. So it's it sounds to me like almost they're pursuing this in a sense as a, I don't know if it's such a basic word to use, but as a weapon gearing up for battle against God himself. Yes, Yes. And I think, you know, we are advancing at a level that is unprecedented, uh, unless um, you believe that before the flood, they were actually more advanced than what we were before the flood wiped out that civilization. And that's certainly possible, um, certainly from what Jesus said, that 
you know, days is days of the end time and a second coming would be like the days of Noah. And if their technology through the sciences that they develop in the antediluvian epoch, the seven sacred sciences um, that Freemasonry, you know, likes to uh, promote and are the same sciences that are developing at extraordinary levels today were combined in the antediluvian epoch from the illicit knowledge from heaven as so many other accounts and whether or not it's the book of Enoch or religions around the world coming from the gods that um, if we're not in the end time quite yet, then that means their technology was more advanced than what ours is today. And so we will, I think we could be seeing a repeat of that. Wow, that's, that's incredible. I mean, I was going to ask you what your thoughts were on that, because uh, I tend to lean towards the idea that we do have uh, lost technology or lost um, knowledge on certain things that we're starting to come back around to learning again and understanding that we had, you know, in the antediluvian world. Uh, and it sounds like, if I'm reading you right, that's kind of like where you're leaning towards as well. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, they did develop uh, the sciences and with the help of the gods or the fallen angels or the ancient aliens, whichever perspective you want to come from that on, uh, and developed and, and created monuments to those beings that, they either worshipped or were being helped by them that we can't even think about doing today. And in locations we couldn't do in today, like Machu Picchu, for example. It's like, how, how would we even think about doing that today? So they had a technology that was very, very, very advanced. And we get from, you know, the Bible that the whole world was corrupt. Not just violent, but the whole world was corrupt. And I think my my speculating and theory on is is as I match all that information up is is that they were not only violating the laws of creation from angels mating with uh, humans and possibly other uh, animals to create some of these fantastic beasts of prehistory that comes out of mythology, but also changing the genomes uh, and uh, the plant world and also cross pollinating DNA, manipulating DNA in the and. In, you know, before the flood, and so they corrupted the whole world in that manner, and we're at the cusp of being able to do all of that today, and I don't think that that's a coincidence. No, not at all, and I, I, tinda, I kind of come from the idea as well that, like, when it comes to the whole mark of the beast, like you were talking about earlier, uh, I do think that it's somehow, it's going to be technological. It's not going to be, because I, I think when I was a kid, it was commonly discussed as, you know, oh, you're going to get a tattoo or something like that. Like, I think it's, it's technological and it's something to do with tra like changing our DNA itself. And, and it's yeah. now you're dealing with the transhumanism aspect yes. of things where you're no longer human. Yes. You're, they're, they're going to create the new man, right? That, and it's going to be probably reserved for um, only selected people. And that's the elite in you know, the people with the spark of the, design, the the divine or the thousand points of light. And, you know, one thing that I didn't make a connection to previous, but this might um, interest some people that are uh, listening, is that in um, the book of Enoch, you have the leader of the watchers who create these Nephilim uh, and gets locked away in, in the abyss is Azazel. And Azazel is very much similar to the uh, the god Pan. And Pan and Azazel seem to be, as they 
um, have different names across different cultures and languages seems to be that god Apollo and Abaddon, the one who was the destroyer of the ancient world. And so I wonder whether or not this Azaziel is, is actually this Apollyon. And again, if, if, if that is a true connection, then you have you know, almost a full circle of worldwide testimony talking about the same events in prehistory. Yeah, absolutely. You, all right, so let me hear, hear this right. You said Azaziel uh, is possibly known as Pan. Is that how I... How? Yeah, because the okay. Pan god is the same god as uh, as uh, as Apollo and is, again, another sort of uh, uh, nature god and a horn god. Um, he's got a whole bunch of different other aspects that I won't go into. But, yeah, I think very much you can make the case that the Pan god is the same um, same God as uh, CERN and Apollo and thus as Aziel as well. All right. Well, I mean, because you just said that you won't go into, but I'm going to ask you a question because I, I did hear, uh, <laughs> so I, I can't remember what I heard about Pan, but is Pan like some kind of perverted God? I can't remember exactly what I heard. Yeah. So this is a half human, half goat. So you have a similarity to Azaziel, just as all the other gods were horn gods, right? They're like um, goat gods that I had mentioned earlier. And it's uh, a god that who plays the flute, right? Just as you have in the fairy tale of the Pied Piper, you know, leading people uh, away. Um, and uh, he's called uh, Peter Pan as an allegory in a, another fairy tale. Um, and that is a very much uh, a chosen allegory of fairy tales because fairy tales are very much connected with the occult. Um, and so the connection on that is is that the god Pan would fly at night with his Peter erect. And now you have a fairy tale named Peter Pan and he would seduce uh, and have sex with, with young nymphs which is, again, what Azaziel would do, right? And so you have Wendy as a nymph in Peter Pan. So all of a sudden you start going into this netherworld, and this world that they escape to is a land where you never grow old, and it's in another dimension just as um, Azaziel was locked in, in another dimension in the abyss. And so you see this complete allegory sort of playing out. I won't completely tell the whole story of Peter Pan today, but, um, <laughs> and, and so, uh, the god Pan is also, um, the fertility god, uh, you know, of the woodlands. And a horn god, as I, I mentioned, and he has pointed ears, which, again, Peter Pan has pointed ears. And, um, you know, the green aspect of Peter Pan reflects that wood um, nature god that, that Peter Pan is. And uh, Azaziel is, is son of Zeus, which is sort of the head of the Greek pantheon, when, and Azaziel would also be a son of, you know, a son of God as well, or, or an angel. And so you see all of these um, allegories connected to, to, uh, to Pan. Yeah, and see, that's what I find so amazing. I know we're, we're we might, I don't know if we are veering off course or not, but we're just going to keep going with it. Uh, because when I heard about Pan and what Pan is all about, and just like what you just laid out, it to me, it sounds like there's a, some kind of link. It, it seems like everything kind of comes back around full circle. And to me, it seems like there's some kind of link to uh, Satanism. Uh, I've heard that, um, I've heard that part of satanic worship 
so I, see, that's the thing that let me ask you this. I hear so many different things evolving, like Satanism, uh, and some, I guess, sects of Satanism don't do certain things that others do. But I, I do know that I've heard that you know part of uh, Satan, Satanic worship can involve uh, child molestation, uh, things like that. Do you think that Pan has a direct link to that at all? I think so, and uh, Pan or Azazel or the many other names for this god that they might. Uh, worship him as in their occult rituals, you know, has that sort of direct relation. And I think they have uh, at the adept level, at the mystic level, not at the lower levels of mysticism or the secret societies, but at the adept levels, they have all sorts of these bizarre and not very um, good things to think about in terms of their uh, rituals, not only in terms of pedophilia or G's. Uh, to please their gods, but also in sacrifice and blood drinking and all sorts of other perversions. So it's it's not it's not just rumor. It's actually part of the the occult religion, which they perpetuate. That goes back into the mists of time again. Yeah, and and you see. You see these things come through uh, in nowadays with your leadership with throughout the different nations, and you have you know CERN dealing with a lot of these different uh, gods and goddesses, and with you know even the, Amer- in the United States and the the rumors and the and uh, that the leadership is there are certain leaders that are involved in satanic worship. I've, to me, it seems like everything kind of comes back around full circle to this struggle of power of good and evil. It is, and we've been presented as science as just being knowledge, right, and objective, and it, and it really never has been. I mean, it could be, but there's a bias to it. Just as, you know, the age of modern science begins in about 1660 with what they call inside the craft, you know, the last of the sorcerers and the first of the scientists, and that's where Freemasonry and Rosicrucian comes together to form the Royal Society that all science reports to and has respect for even to this day. And the Royal Society had, you know, has the same goals uh, at that time, and they still do today, as what Enoch and Lamech and Tubal Cain and uh, Jabal, who is the, the big patriarch of, of Masonry uh, of the seven sciences, um, and their patriarchs of Masonry and the secret societies go back to these people, uh, as they say, in their uh, writings and their legends and their history to the people that I just named. That is the descendants of Cain, not from the Seth line, in case somebody's wondering, and the names are similar. You have Lamech and Enoch, which are identical, for example, in both lineages. And what they were trying to do with the sciences at that point in time, in which they again began in about 1660 with the start of the Royal Society, was to lead people away from God and to not give God of the universe credit for anything, the creation of it, uh, any good that happens in it. They're not going to give him credit for anything. And to worship and honor the pantheon of the gods who gave them the illicit knowledge and and the sciences and developing of the sciences. Uh, And they would build great monuments to honor them that we see coming out of of, of prehistory. And this is the same thing that's been transformed to the start of the development of the seven sciences, and it's the seven liberal sciences that they like to promote. Everybody knows and has heard of them. They just don't know where they came from and how they're developing them. And they're developing them with a 
you know, specific bias, just as philosophy will come out of the first three sciences, and that's what's going to be the one that guides them in, in the belief system. And out of these seven sciences in the development was the creation of the mystical religions and the secret societies who partnered with um, the fallen angels to create the Nephilim who usurped the antediluvian world and whose dynasties usurp the royal dynasties after the flood. And so when we look at what's being done in science today, it's all done with a preconceived agenda. And if you fall outside of that agenda or preconceived narrative, you don't get funding, you get persecuted. And the level of that persecution goes up if you're trying to insert anything like in, let's say, in um, uh the creation aspect in an intelligent design. Uh, anything that has to do with creative, creation design is automatically eliminated. And, you know, science is supposed to be cold and objective and consider all things. But, uh, and just as when you see in archaeology that if they have a discovery that doesn't fit the preconceived narrative, they call that an upark an out-of-place artifact, and they just ignore it. So we don't have this cold, secular science. And then if you peel back even further and you understand that it's this, you know, the Rosicrucians, who are one of the creators of the Royal Society, is one of the main secret society groups that is polytheist, and um, you know, the Freemasons will answer to them in the hierarchy. But they're the ones who have preserved the, the Western religion of, of this, what we understand as Eastern mysticism and polytheism that they call Gnosticism. And then they created Theosophy to be the bridge that was going to be the religion for the end time that would bridge science and religion back together. And this is the religion that's behind the founding of modern science. Okay, well, let's take a break, and uh, we'll be right back. You know, do you think that there's a possibility that we could ever really have a non-biased scientific examination of these things? Because I feel like as they uncover things that might not go with their preconceived scientific notions, they, like you said, ignore it. Yeah, I don't think so because there's so much control over it now. I mean, you won't get funding unless you're going to go out and research what they want the answers to. And if you come back to with the wrong answers, you won't get any more funding. And so there seems to be less and less tolerance to research outside the box, let alone less and less tolerance for free speech, period, that seems to be going on. And it, it's quite frightening as to how we see that ramping up in its intensity. So I don't think in this world we can expect... Um, an unbiased use of knowledge and science. And I would also say that in this world, um, and some people may find this odd for me to say it, but let's say if we had a world dominated by a Christian church, I don't think that would be biased or unbiased as well. I think it would become corrupted. I think anything we do in this world is going to be corrupted. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. Uh, do you think that 
all the things that are going on at CERN, the things that they're doing, do you think that all the scientists that are there are in the know of what they're doing? Or do you think there's a lot of ignorance being played amongst the, you know, the everyday, quote unquote, everyday scientists that work there? The everyday scientists may not um, be included uh, in terms of the agenda and the forces behind um, the funding and what they're trying to accomplish. I think when you get to be, you know, the leaders of the scientists, I think at that point you've, you've already been initiated through the Royal Society or through different secret societies and you're already into mysticism um, and you're fully bought into what you're trying to do. But I think just as in all secret society structures you have let's let's take freemasonry as as the classic because most people are familiar with that and you have a you know, third degree which is the york rate and 33 degrees that are in the scottish rate and at the third degree in new york and the 33rd degree in the scottish rate you become an adept you become illuminated and the illuminati is what is at the center of of uh, illuminated freemasonry but below that you don't have all the knowledge you don't in fact you're told mostly half truths and lies and it's they don't really know what's going on at the top and only at the top as you become initiated as an adept do you learn the true secrets and the true agenda so i think that works through the whole organizational structure including scientists okay you know this is kind of like uh shifting gears a little bit but this is a question that was submitted here uh it says there have been some meteorological phenomena around CERN, specifically the time CERN has events. Does the activity bear any weight on the environment around it? So I guess basically saying the things that are going on at CERN, does that have any kind of reaction to the environment around CERN? Well, you can only speculate, um, but I think for, you know, anytime you have an action, you have an equal you know, reaction to it. I think that's basic science. So if you're dealing with uh, things that go back to the creation of the universe, if you're dealing with things that are going to um, enter into multiple dimensions, then, yeah, you ought to see some sort of unexplained um, feedback coming back to the exercise of those experiments. And, the other thing that tends to go along with CERN and other high-level research areas is as a higher level of alien um, sightings in terms of unidentified objects that seem to be around those areas that seem to have an interest, I suppose, is, is sort of a thought. Whether or not that's all true and that's proven, I mean, again, I'm only presenting what um, people say about it. But I think the answer, you know, simple answer to the question is yes. Yeah. Uh, well, along those lines of you know the different you know sightings of aliens and stuff like that around it, uh, is there any possibility that they're opening up some kind of black hole or wormhole that would be allowing things like that to come through in, in that area? Yeah, I think so. And basic alien, ancient alien mythos and and alien mythos is is that they do come through portals, right? And portals is a significant part of the occult world. And, you know, you've got, and it's throughout uh, fairy uh, mythology as well, and they guard these portals to the other world or Anwin or to Tartarus or to other dimensions. And so not only do you have 
sort of flying saucers coming through these portals through the oceans and certain places around the world. But you also have these what they call fairy dolmens that are located on all continents around the world. And they're kind of these mini Stonehenge um, sites. Uh, so you've got these rocks that are standing up and then they're capped with other huge sort of rocks. Um, and they're called fairy dolmens. And dolmen translates as portal. And again, it just, it's one of those constants that's in all sort of religions and uh, mythologies around the world is this idea of, of going through these portals into other dimensions and just as fairies guard these portals. So, yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's a, a certainly a possibility that uh, whether or not they're actually aliens as they're going to be presented to us are the ones going through these portals. I think there's some significance to that for sure. All right. I have another question here. It was submitted by one of our patrons, and he says, uh, Luke says, is CERN privately funded? Well, there, there is private funding, but there's also a lot of government funding as well. Okay, so definitely the government has their hands in it. Yes, it's it's a, a private uh, public um, project. Okay, that's kind of contradictory to me. Private but public. <laughs> private but public. <laughs> uh, it, some people used to call that national socialism when they worked like that. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna project the uh, the Nazi overlay on CERN. I don't think there's I don't think we quite see that. Although you can take. Uh, the Nazis back to the occult, but anyways, yeah, sure. I digress. I digress. <laughs> if you want to dive into that, I'm sure there's a YouTube a YouTube video somewhere that you can watch. <laughs> um, so I wanted to ask you, you know, Stephen Hawking. I heard that he's very concerned about CERN. Uh, have you heard that? And what was some of his concerns with it? No, I haven't heard what his concerns are. Uh, but if there's somebody listening that would like to. Uh, pose that up as to what he's saying. I, I, I've not heard um, his concerns about CERN. I, I have heard that he's quite concerned about artificial intelligence. So maybe that's kind of what it's around. Okay, well, maybe that's what it is. Uh, yeah. I, I'm assuming his concerns with artificial intelligence are pretty much the same that I would have is, you know, pretty much we're all going to get killed by robots one day. You know? Yeah, I think we've all seen at least one movie and we all know how that turns out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, seems, it's, it just seems obvious that there's lines that, you know, you, you just can't cross, but we don't seem to have those reins on anymore. We just seem to be developing science and knowledge for development. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. I mean, I feel like just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. And I feel like we're pushing the line where, I mean, it's just, to me, there's certain inevitabilities that are going to come with the advancement of certain technologies. And when it comes to artificial intelligence, like even for me personally, my own everyday job, I'm a truck driver. And I can't tell you how many times I find articles of the, you know, Peterbilt, Freightliner, these different trucking companies coming out with trucks that drive themselves. And I'm yeah. thinking we're inventing ourselves out of jobs and eventually yeah. we're going to have to get a, a, a check from the government every month because there's not going to be any jobs to have. Yeah, I just don't understand this whole ideology of putting people out of work. And they keep telling us these half-truths that, well, you're just going to be doing a different job. But no matter what, there's less and less 
good jobs as we go. It's like it's almost like they're saying, hey, we want to create, um, you know, a, a world of slaves because we are going to drive them down into poverty because there won't be any good jobs left. Yeah, so it, it just I, I don't know why it continues. It's like and, and you can put controls on that. <laughs> right. It's just I feel like we have to just keep pushing the envelope. You know what it is? It's that once you have access to this kind of technology and stuff, there's always going to be that one person that has the ability to that is willing to push the envelope and see how far you can go. Even though you kind of know where it's going to go in the end, you just have to yep. see if you can do it. Like, I just want to see yeah. if I can actually do that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, you look at, you know, the creation of the atomic bomb. Right. And, um, you know, and that's a destroyer of worlds. And I think the world's done a very good job of containing it. But the longer time goes on, you wonder what happens with somebody like, um, you know, the leader of North Korea who has seemingly, you know, worked several working bombs. And once he has the ability to deliver it, will he do that? Because, Typically, that's what happens, right? Once you develop the knowledge, it will be used. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, that's that's one of my biggest concerns with with CERN. Pardon the pun, but uh, it's just <laughs> that you know there there's certain things that I feel like uh, we just shouldn't be messing with. And the things that I'm hearing that, that's coming out of CERN is definitely uh, worrisome to say the least. And uh, I just. I don't know. I, 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 there's nothing that I can do about it personally, uh, but it just it, it does worry me. But really, it's not going to do me any good worrying about it. Yep. Yeah, and even if it's not some of the things that we've been talking about on this show, it's they don't know what they're going to find or what's going to be a consequence thereof. And you know, when you're pushing to those kinds of levels where you don't know that. That just seems to me like we're not ready to cross that threshold. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Well, Gary, I really appreciate you coming on the show today and kind of sharing some things about CERN, just giving us a very basic, fundamental uh, understanding of what CERN is and how things operate a little bit. Terrific. And, uh, yeah, so uh, I always love talking about CERN. And, uh, you know, it's been a little bit quiet lately on, on developments kind of coming out of there that, that I'm aware of. But watching it like a lot of people are and seeing where it actually goes and uh, also watching, you know, that development of the quantum computer and AI, because I think they're all sort of interconnected where science is going. Yeah. Now, uh, before we get out of here, where can people get a hold of you? I know we mentioned it on the show before, but where can people find you if they want to ask you questions? If you, you can get a hold of me through Facebook under Gary Wayne and or Genesis 6 Conspiracy Pages. And I also have a group if you want to join that, uh, Gary Wayne and the Genesis 6 Conspiracy. You can just um, look for that on Facebook or you can get a hold of me through my website and email me questions or comments. And that's the Genesis6Conspiracy.com, Genesis6 with the number 6Conspiracy.com. And if you do ask me a question, I will definitely get back to you. Yeah, and I can vouch for that. I mean, you're very active on Facebook, and you do keep a tab on what's going on with your material. There's been times that I'll share one of your things, and you've actually seen it, So, and you comment, thanks for sharing. So you are very active, and uh, you socialize with people, and I think that's a great thing for somebody with your knowledge to be able to just kind of interact with people and share what you know. Terrific, and uh, that's what it's all about is uh, getting the information out there and having people 
develop that information. Absolutely. Well, Gary, I really appreciate you coming on today. I'll talk to you later. Thank you. Well, that's the show, everybody. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something. I know I did. And before we get out of here, I just want to let everybody know on April 14th, 2018, I'm going to be in Cannonsburg at the Frank Saris Library. I'll be helping to host a town hall meeting where people are going to come out and share their local encounters with Bigfoot. I'm going to have some people coming out where they're going to share their story on what they saw locally in Cannonsburg, Pennsylvania. And it's going to be a great time. Doug Waller is going to be there speaking, sharing a lot of detailed information that he's gathered about Bigfoot. I highly encourage people to make plans to come out to the Frank Saris Library in Cannesburg, Pennsylvania on April 14th, 2018. I'll be there. I'm traveling five hours to be there. So if you're within a five-hour radius, I would highly encourage you to set some time aside, make the trip out, and check things out. Meet me, meet Doug, and have a good time. Anyways, I hope you guys have a great week. Take care, stay safe, and I'll see you right here next Saturday night on The Confessionals. Bye, everybody.
power to take off. 